What's up? All right, I think we actually, uh, well, let's see. Is this working? Yeah. All right, I guess we know what we're doing for the time being. Yeah, for the time being. I don't know much about this app at all. So this this week is going to basically be a test week. Um, in this previous, is very much an experiment. Yeah, in previous, or in future weeks. All right. Look. Are you washing dishes or something? What the hell? Yeah, are you I doing? just finished a bowl of frosted mini wheat. That's what I'm saying. What the hell was that? It sounded like you were jumping in the shower. But, oh. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, in future weeks, I'll be able to, you know, we'll get a Twitter account popping up for this. We'll get live listeners and stuff like that. But for now, it's just mainly getting used to this call in app because I have no idea what it is. All right. Well, neither do I. Is this, I take it to uh, people over. I, I can actually hear myself now, so that's weird. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the people at Lions want us to do it this way. Yeah, uh, we partnered up with this calling app. It's fairly new. Uh, I was messing around with it earlier today, and I saw I saw Matt Miller, the uh, yeah uh, the uh, draft and fantasy guy, was uses this platform. So I don't know if it's a big thing or not, but we're about to find out. Well, hey, we're buying low. Yeah, we're buying low. We're going to sell high. All right, so we got yeah, so right. we got a lot to talk about, especially in the world of college football, and especially with your Notre Dame fighting Irish. Like 15 different angles that we could take on that one. Yeah, so I'll let you take this one, um, and you're going to tell me why, uh, you know, we're going to be welcoming back Lou Holtz as the interim coach for the bowl game. Yep, so – I don't think I'm breaking any news to anyone at this point. Whoops, I, as I run through a door to try to get downstairs to settle in for this podcast. But uh, unless you're in a coma, I don't think I'm breaking any news to you, Brian Kelly. Um, it's it's hilarious, man, how Lincoln Riley going to USC feels like a month ago because the entire yeah. Brian Kelly storm has just completely taken over and is crashing through America right now in college football. But Brian Kelly to LSU is something that I didn't see coming at all, and I'm I'm blown away at how fast these these things happen. So Lincoln Riley happened, I think, the night of. I think the conversation between Lincoln Riley and USC started the night of the Oklahoma State game, and then became official the next day. I wasn't hearing a so he single thing about BK to LSU. And I guess this comes down to to a couple things. One of them being dollars and cents, obviously. So I, I forget the exact details of the contract. And whatever they were tweeted out, they were tweeted out as unofficial anyway. So for whatever that's worth. But oh, I can pull them up. somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million, go figure, because that's the going rate now. But obviously money came into this, but also... And this is this is the part that for me as a Notre Dame fan is a really, really, really tough pill to swallow. Is that if Brian Kelly has a lot of success at LSU, and that's a big if because I'm and I'll get to this in a minute, I'm not super optimistic. But if he has a lot of success at LSU, that is as big of evidence as we could possibly have as college football fans that Notre Dame has this glass ceiling that nobody can break through. And that will be 
right. devastating for me to have to accept is that we're just a cold northern campus that looks pretty and you know we can get a few guys we can get a, a Jalen Smith type recruit back in the day uh, uh, mm-hmm. and we've had we have some lined up Brennan Vernon is a big time recruit in the 2023 class in the state of Ohio maybe but if he goes to LSU and has a bunch of success that's just going to be the most painful pill to swallow of all time for me because I'm going to have to accept the fact that the talents, and I know this, the talents in the southeastern United States, which is why the SEC is the best conference of college football, regardless of what everyone tries to right. say, at least up here in the north, because that's where all the talent is. So yeah, that would be incredibly unfortunate for me. I, I think that he feels I, I think that he feels at this current time that that's the best place to win. Now, I being the objective college football fan that I am and kind of look at that and go, really, you think becoming neighbors with Nick Saban is the best way to win? And that's kind of my perspective on it. But obviously, if Brian Kelly and, and everybody, everybody in sports always thinks that they have what it takes to break through, even when the odds are against them. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame them for feeling that way. But he is a guy who is a specializer in offensive line recruiting. At least that was his reputation in Notre Dame. Again, could just be the glass ceiling prevented us from getting in all these great skill guys. But Going to LSU, he is known as the offensive line wizard. But now you are, again, Al, Al, you are next door. You're not next door neighbors because Mississippi's in the way, but you live down the street from Nick Saban. Nick Saban is also an incredible recruiter of offensive linemen. Uh, the, apparently, the greatest recruiter in the country is now next door to Nick Saban because Kirby Smart, I don't know if you've been paying attention. Georgia's recruiting classes have been ridiculous. So, yeah, they just they just flipped some five star corner from Ohio State. I can't remember. Yeah, his name, uh, but J- I remember Jaheim Singletary, them. I think is his name. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So you are going into a meat grinder of a conference and a meat grinder of recruiting competition, and I don't know how that's going to play out because now you are it, up in the north. You are probably I don't want to say the best, but you are one of the best offensive line recruiters in the North. Your competition is Wisconsin and Iowa. And, you know, we'll, we'll throw Ohio State in there. But yes. you are now – now your specialty, you are the, the third best at that in your own region. So and now what I will say about the recruiting aspect is that LSU traditionally kind of has Louisiana locked up. Uh, it's really rare for people to leave – the state of Louisiana, like the big time recruits, they they traditionally all go to LSU. So you at least have that on your side. So mm-hmm. you're going to be able to recruit skill position players that you just weren't able to get at Notre Dame. But I, I think at the end of the day, the dollars and cents are going to prove to be more valuable than the recruiting territory because you have Nick Saban, who I don't even need to list off his resume. But he's no, he exists. Don't. You have he next sure to does. him someone who everybody thinks is going to be the next dynasty in college football, at least it currently stands. Really? And the predetermined national champions for this year, the Georgia Bulldogs, 
And some people, okay. I, I'm kind of, now I'm kind of reaching at this point, but some people still really like Jimbo Fisher, who does have a national championship, albeit from Florida State. But to, I, don't, I don't know if you're paying attention to Texas A&M's recruiting class either. But they just they just got some guy Evan Stewart, a receiver. Oh, they they are they've been cleaning up. Uh, yeah, in 2022. Absolutely. I mean, they've been cleaning up in that class. Let me pull that up actually. And they are in the final two for a defensive lineman who had previously been committed to Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley just left, so now he's down to Oklahoma and A&M, so they could flip him too. So I just – I don't think that the best plan for Brian Kelly's success is to go jump into the SEC. And I, I understand that the, the ceiling is higher, but I also think the floor is much lower than it is at Notre Dame. And that's the danger that he's putting himself in. He's basically playing right. a game of high risk, high reward. and. I am more I'm more likely to believe right now that he's going to be experiencing the risk more than he will the reward. The the biggest problem with the move right now is LSU is a win now job. It that's just the way it's going to be. That's that's the expectations of a southern program. And the roster right now is not very good. If if we're being honest for LSU, they have the 15th ranked recruiting class coming in. They just lost another corner who just entered the transfer portal. He's a five-star. Um, and he doesn't really have a quarterback. So that's that's my thing about Brian Kelly. Now, it's a, I would have made this move if I was Brian Kelly. One, because I believe it was nine, nine years, $95 million If I'm I, – I, I didn't really – I thought that's what I saw this morning. But um, – and two – it's much. If you want to win a national championship, you have to recruit the big time states well. You have to recruit Texas well. You have to recruit Florida well. You have to re- recruit California well. And California might be a bit of a toss up now that Lincoln Riley's over there, and he has a chance to put a strangle. Because if you if he gets USC to even seventy five percent of what he got Oklahoma, then Southern California and California. And even even states like Oregon and Washington are becoming really good recruiting hotbeds. Uh, Ohio State just got two, Ameka Abuka and JT Tuiamalo out of Seattle. So those states are starting to become uh, very big recruiting states as well. But it's much Yeah, Yeah, by the way, Malachi Nelson, I, this is like news just this yeah, evening. I, I don't know that. if you saw this. Malachi Nelson, who was the number one recruit in 2023, or number one number quarterback, quarterback, I should say, in 2023, immediately, a Southern California guy who was committed to play for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, he, he was actually the guy who came out yesterday and said, I'm not opening up my commitment. I'm just decommitting from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, now we know. It means that his mind was made up. Oh, I'm just going to follow him to USC. Yeah, smart move. I mean, yeah. USC USC is not a very good roster right now either. I know they have this Jackson Dart, who is a four-star, pretty highly recruited quarterback. He looked all right this year. Um, USC was kind of in a bad place. I think Keaton Slovis just fell off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened with him, but he just fell off the face of the earth. But going back to Brian Kelly, it's much easier to convince a player in uh, Florida or Texas to come to LSU than it is to go to Notre Dame, even though I think Notre Dame is a much bigger brand than LSU. And I think you, everybody in the world would agree. Notre Dame is a top three brand in college football, arguably the top brand in college football. So I get it. I think he's kind of, I think he kind of reached his ceiling at Notre Dame where it's, 
you know, he, he's good enough to get to the playoffs, but he's not good enough to beat Alabama. He's not good enough to beat uh, Ohio State. He's not good enough to beat Georgia. So I think he kind of reached the ceiling with Notre Dame. But uh, let's head over to Lincoln Riley um, and USC. This one, this one kind of obviously also came out of nowhere. But um, it's I I always I love how he was on Scott Van Pelt last night on Sports Center, and I didn't really watch it. But Scott Van Pelt was trying to go in hard, trying to get like, dude, you obviously didn't come to the conclusion that you're going to USC immediately after the Oklahoma State loss. Like, come on. I th- my theory on what happened was USC approached him <laughs> almost immediately after they let go of Clay Helton, which was very, like three years ago, I'm convinced at this point. Um, yeah, it's been – what I mean is it's, it feels oh, wow. like a long time since Clay Helton got fired. But um, I'm pretty sure they came to him and he said no. And he told his agent, you talk to them and you make them make me say yes to this offer. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. Um, regardless, the Lincoln Riley move for the time being is kind of a parallel move because he goes from dominating the Big Twelve to likely dominating the Pac twelve because those are two two conferences that are really struggling in competition right now. Although I will say the Big Twelve this year appeared right. to have turned it around because they had three teams heading into the final couple of weeks of college football who all could have been playoff contenders. So this year, but traditionally, yes. we haven't really thought very highly of the Big 12 outside of uh, Oklahoma. Now, the narratives are building in the states of Texas, Arkansas, Alabama, Missouri, Florida, Georgia, T- Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, whatever. The narrative's building that Lincoln Riley was afraid of the SEC. Do you buy into that at all? Yeah, I would. I mean, <laughs> from what I, I, I'm sorry, like I would. I know, I know. Coaches always like go up to the podium and say, "We'll play any team, anytime." I believe in my guys. I, I do not want to play Alabama every year. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to play Alabama. Every, I, obviously, we didn't know. We don't know how the SEC would realign, but I would not want to play Alabama every year. I would not want to play L- LSU most years. I would not want to play Georgia every year. The way Texas A&M is trending, I would not want to play them. And yeah. It's just all – there's tough teams. All Florida can be good at any given year. Yeah, it's – Kentucky's showing signs. Arkansas is starting to wake up a little bit. So there – and his alternative was to go to the Pac-12 where he can play Stanford every year, where he can play Arizona every year, Arizona State. Uh, Oregon obviously is very good, and they're going to be very good. They, they just traditionally are very good. I, I really like Mario Cristobal a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, USC and Joel Klatt made this point. Uh, I don't remember when, but he made this point at some point, And I really liked it. USC is one of the few programs that is just one recruiting class away from making the college football playoff. Just because they, they demand the attention of every top recruit because USC is a big brand. It's Los Angeles. And when USC was good, I know we were, you and I were both young when they were really good, but when they're good, they were must-watch TV, and they're going to get every single primetime Pac-12 slot that they can if Lincoln Riley can get them to a level where he got Oklahoma. 
So I really, I, if I, again, I said I would take the LSU job if I was Brian Kelly, I would do the same exact thing if I was Lincoln Riley. I mean, USC is just a much better job than Oklahoma at this point. Maybe not this second because Oklahoma has a better roster, but two years when Lincoln Riley gets his guys in and it starts with Malachi Nelson, when it's, when he gets his guys in, I think USC is going to be a wagon. Uh, yeah, so this is hilarious because a couple of days ago I was texting people, and I, I, I may have sent you this, honestly, because I, I remember re- repeating this to a few people. I was like, well, Lincoln Riley to USC, Notre Dame's, just, Notre Dame's life just got a lot harder. Uh, little did I know that it would get immensely harder in just 24 hours. But yeah. Lincoln Riley, I think he's going to be successful at USC. Uh, he's in the Pac-12 South because you mentioned Oregon and Washington are becoming two states that are really starting to develop nice high school talent. I know that Oregon, with their connections to Nike and Phil Knight, they have no problem recruiting, and their recruiting classes look pretty good upcoming. But they're in the Pac-12 North, so even then – USC is just going to be able to kind of pick apart the South, which is already struggling. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the six teams in the South. I know that it's Arizona and Arizona State, both bad. By the way, I, I am more convinced. I said this in the middle of the season, and now I'm like very confident in this. I said it kind of jokingly earlier, but we are going to have a Spencer Rattler versus Jack Miller Arizona State versus Arizona game uh, coming up here this season, hmm. but. He has those two teams, which USC is probably ahead of both of them. Uh, USC, UCLA, rather, with Chip Kelly, who we thought was going to be a really good team. And then I did, I we, uh, we, were, we quickly were realized that team. we were fooled. Um, and then Very. the Colorado Buffaloes and, and the um, – yeah, Colorado and Utah are both in the south, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because Oregon uh, played both of them in championships or whatever. Or Washington played Colorado. Point being, uh, yeah. I guess Utah would be your best competition. But honestly, with all of this movement, I wouldn't be surprised if Willingham or uh, Whittingham, Whittingham, uh, sorry, I, Whittingham. with all this Notre Dame coach talk, somebody put out Tyrone Willingham's picture and said, bring him back. So I, that's just PTSD currently in my mind. Um, actually, funny story. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast that had Mark Sanchez on it. And he was talking about his final four schools that he went on recruiting trips for. And they were actually, you and I are both connected to this because it was obviously USC. It was Texas, uh, Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. and Ohio State. He said that he didn't go to Notre Dame because he was talking to Ty Willingham on his recruiting trip. And Ty Willingham just kept speaking in the third person and just kept saying, Ty Willingham's going to develop the perfect offense for you. Ty Willingham's got a great program right now. And I, I heard that, huh. and I almost, like, jumped off the roof of my house. Um, he said he said that uh, Jim Tressel ruined the Ohio State trip. He, he said when he went to Ohio State, they had the entire band playing in the stadium. They gave him his number six jersey, and it was just him, the band, in the stadium, like, playing, I, I don't know, Hang On Sloopy or whatever. But, uh, he, like, at the very end of the trip, they were talking about, you know, what it's going to be like with him at Ohio State. And he goes – the one thing that ruined it, because Mark Sanchez, obviously a Southern California kid, Mission Viejo, uh, California, he goes, Jim Tressel, and I don't know why Jim Tressel would ever share this in a recruiting pitch to a California kid, but he's like, yeah, the past 10 years it snowed in the Michigan game, best thing ever. And then he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to come here anymore now that you just told me that. 
He's like, yeah, without fail. Past 10 years, it snows when we play Michigan. You're going to love it. So that's kind of how that ended. But uh, back to what I was going to say with Kyle Whittingham, he's been somebody uh, over at Utah who's gained a lot of respect nationally. Now, he's been there for a long time, so he kind of feels like a legacy guy. I think he was the defensive coordinator at Utah when Urban Meyer was the head coach. So I I feel like we can kind of view him as somebody who, if anybody wouldn't leave, it'd be him just because he's been there for so long. But he's definitely right. somebody that people have considered and discussed as as a possible candidate for taking a big-time job. So, And if that happens, then Lincoln Riley's job gets even easier. But even with this reclamation project at USC, he, it's still currently so easy for him that I, I think that even in kind of the growing pain stages of him taking the USC job, He's going to be able to succeed, and that's going to really attract recruits because he won't even have to try that hard uh, with how easy it's going to be around him. So I, I don't know if he's scared of the SEC, but all in all, Lincoln Riley's going to be successful, and uh, Notre Dame's got to travel out to USC next year. So that's going to be a thorn in my side watching that game. I, I was taking a look at Notre Dame's schedule next year, and it is a gauntlet. You start uh-huh. the season in Columbus. You have to play North Carolina in North Carolina. North Carolina has a very good recruiting class coming in. I know they're losing Sam Howell, but they have a very good recruiting class coming in. You have to pay, play BYU in Allegiant Stadium, apparently. Um, you, got, you got USC oh, yeah. at USC. Boston College, a team I respect a lot just because I really respect Jeff Hathley. And you have to have Cle- – and you play Clemson. So it is – uh, Clemson, Clemson comes back to Notre Dame, which yeah. would be, I, I guess, the only silver lining out of all of that. Um, I, I, you said that North Carolina is losing uh, Sam Howell. I'm not 100% convinced of that. Uh, I'm also not convinced. Uh, there, there was What was the other team? It was Clemson, North Carolina. Oh, uh, you said one of the teams. It was Clemson, North Carolina, BYU. Uh, BYU. Uh, and we'll handle BYU. We'll, we'll be fine. But, yeah, I, I, North Carolina, the way that Sam Howell has played this year and also with how underwhelming they've been, and they're still recruiting good talent. I, not to, I'm not trying to just talk about everybody's recruitment, but North Carolina has definitely picked up some big-time recruits. Um, they beat out both of us for Zach Rice, the big left tackle, so he's going to be someone there. So I, I, I'm not convinced mm-hmm. that Sam Howell is leaving, especially when – I think one good year and his draft stock could shoot right back up with as high as it was. So I'm not 100% convinced, which makes my life even harder. And we're going to have quite the task on our hands because we're going to have a, a, a who's who of coaches uh, on our schedule with Ryan Day, Devo Sweeney, Mac Brown, Lincoln Riley. Are you kidding me? So uh, life's, life's not, not super easy for us yeah. Notre Dame fans. And I guess that's the perfect segue to transition into who's going to be our coach this in this entire sequence. I, I know for a fact that a lot mm. of the players, because they're all tweeting about it, a lot of the players and current recruits want Marcus Freeman. A lot of players, mostly defensive players, go figure because Marcus Freeman is the defensive coordinator currently. They're all posting pictures online with pictures of them with Marcus Freeman and the hashtag Freeman era is already going around and buzzing. So, look, whatever it takes to keep the recruits, because we have some good recruits, 
And also with the transfer portal now, you can you get one freebie. I I am I, I'm afraid, and this isn't for Notre Dame. This goes for any school. And my goodness, we saw with Oklahoma, they got six decommits within the first 24 hours after Lincoln Riley was announced as USC's head coach. I am right. terrified of the possible roster genocide that could happen, especially with the one year with the uh, one free transfer. I, I I think that if we don't get the head, if we don't have a head coach that the recruits and the current players are familiar with, I'm I'm worried that this entire thing could blow up, and that would be the absolute worst time for that to happen because of all the coaches we play next year. So. If we're not really competitive next year, I think our season could spiral out of control. And then how do you recruit with a new head coach coming off a seven and five or eight and four record? I, I this just this just could really go sideways. So uh, my safe option for Notre Dame is to stick with Marcus Freeman as the head coach. So that way at least the players are bought in. And it, he like he may make some goofy decisions next year. He's never been a head coach before. I understand that Notre Dame's high profile, and we should be able to bring in somebody who's been a head coach at various stops and's had success already. But I'm afraid that if next year goes wrong, things could really spiral out of control and set us a few years back before we're really able to rebound, despite the fact that Marcus Freeman has the reputation of being one of the best recruiters in the country. I think that next year is an enormous priority for us to be successful in order to set us up for a few years of success after that. So for that reason, I, I, my most preferred option is to go with who the players are comfortable with so we can keep this roster uh, as similar next year as it is this year. So Marcus Freeman's my choice. I know you have, you have plenty of ideas for who could possibly be Notre Dame's head coach, and I would love to hear him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, before we get into that, I just noticed we have a listener, uh, Chase Klein. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we are new to this app, so we don't really know what we're doing. Uh, I can invite you to speak, so I'll, I'll send you the invite if you would like to speak. Go ahead. But um, Chase has been listening. He was in early. Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been looking at my computer screen. I'm doing this on my phone. But um, you, you mentioned the Notre Dame uh, coaching candidates. Obviously, Luke Fickle, um, Matt Campbell, you know, the, the, the usual names that are being floated out there, Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, uh, Marcus Freeman is another one. But um, it, there, there is an interesting scenario where if Luke Fickle were to get the job, and ultimately, in my heart of hearts, I think Luke Fickle is going to be the coach. Um, he won't get hired until after Cincinnati season's over. And uh, probably, I don't know, um, Notre Dame's in the middle of a college football playoff race and their coach just left. So maybe. But um, there's a scenario because uh, Marcus Freeman was the defensive coordinator with Luke Fickle for a couple of years. I believe they probably played at Ohio State together. Um, uh, Fickle okay. coach well, Freeman. Obviously, that. Uh, Freeman, Freeman played with uh, – he played with Laurinaitis. Oh, okay. Um yeah, so there's a scenario where Marcus Freeman's going to get a job at some point. Um, he, As you said, he's built up the reputation of one of the best recruiters in the country. 
I don't know. Notre Dame as your first ever college football head coaching job, that's a tough ask for somebody like Marcus Freeman. I know he is very well respected within Notre Dame. The players like him. All the college football analysts, they all rave about him. Um, what? How about, like, if Luke Fickle takes the job at Notre Dame, but he, Marcus Friedman might be a candidate to go coach Cincinnati because that's going to turn into not a top program in college football, but it, uh, Luke Fickle has put it in a place where it is a very well-respected program. So... That would be interesting. I know a lot of Ohio State fans are, are clamoring for um, Freeman to become the defensive coordinator here at Ohio State. I would personally love that. Um, obviously, Ohio State had some problems on defense all year, and it got exposed against Michigan. So I would love that. Um, if I were Notre Dame, I probably would end up going with Marcus Freeman. He's going to be the interim coach, I would assume. Um, and. It, if if they don't make the college football playoff, he has a one-game audition. And if Notre Dame gets absolutely clapped in that game, that's a problem. But, um, yeah, I would go with Marcus Freeman. I really like him a lot. But I personally think Luke Fickle is going to be the guy. Now, I would also – I know Urban Meyer already said he's not coming back to college, but he also retired twice, so that's a thing. So I would I would make Urban Meyer tell me no. Just Urban Meyer's long said that Notre Dame is his dream job. So let's see if he if that's actually his dream job. Notre Dame might not open up again. Yeah. Like respectfully saying, in Urban Meyer's lifetime, he might not open up again in his lifetime. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I would make Urban Meyer tell me no. I would also, if I were one of these teams, I wonder if USC and LSU did their – their due diligence, if they would have poked around, would see what Dabo Sweeney's thinking over at Clemson. I don't think he'll ever leave Clemson until he until he retires. Um, but, you know, obviously, since they've had a bit of a down year, and that's, you know, they're slowly climbing back up the rankings from a couple of weeks ago. Like, hey, Clemson's kind of like beating up on teams right now. Like, they silently look really good. Obviously, they have three losses, so that kind of eliminated them from anything. They're not going to play in the ACC championship game, but I would have poked around at Dabo Sweeney if I was Notre Dame. But um, I guess we can go look into these college football playoff rankings that just released an hour ago. Yeah, have at it. Yeah. What's your uh, top 25 looking like? Uh, my to- Actually, my top 10 was the same, except I had Michigan State 10, Oregon 11. Um. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Baylor, Michigan State was mine. The committee went with Oregon over Michigan State. That's fine. They're both two lost teams. One team's playing for the Pac-12 championship or their conference championship, I should say. But, um, yeah, I mean, the second week in a row, they got it right. Uh, Michigan, they clearly deserve that number two spot. Alabama should have lost to Auburn, if we're being honest. Um a 99-yard touchdown drive descended into overtime is just brutal for Auburn. But um, Alabama at three, that that Alabama being at three, kind of like I thought they were going to drop down to four, and Cincinnati was going to move up one. That kind of if Alabama were to lose, let's say this: if Alabama were to lose to Georgia, like 21 to like 17 or something like that, is there any possible scenario Alabama still sneaks in at four if Cincinnati were to lose? if Oklahoma State were to lose as well. 
Well, if you're going to factor in a Cincinnati loss and a um, an Oklahoma State loss, I, I definitely think that's possible. Um, if you also because the only competition at that point, I, I assume, would be Notre Dame, and my well, my goodness, be, I don't think anybody wants to put Notre Dame in the playoffs right now, and I, that includes half of their fans. No. Um. If Cincinnati and Oklahoma State were to lose, and Alabama lost by a slim margin. Now, if Alabama gets rolled, I would not put them in because they've looked bad against every quality team they've played this year, every single one. So I I get they're number three just because of their Alabama, and that's fine. But, I mean, I would – if Cincinnati and Oklahoma State were to lose – Okay, so let's go through this scenario. Georgia beats Alabama by seven. They would cover the spread. It's six and a half right now. Michigan beats up on Iowa, which I think they'll probably will do. They're ten and a half point favorites. Cincinnati loses to Houston, which is very possible. Houston's very good. Oklahoma State loses to Baylor. So now Georgia and Michigan are cemented as one two. That leaves three and four wide open. And that was, if Cincinnati loses, they're out. I don't think there's any scenario Cincinnati loses and stays in. If Cincinnati's out, Alabama's maybe. Oklahoma State's obviously out. Baylor would be the Big 12 championship, Big 12 champion in that scenario. So they would get consideration. I don't know if a two-loss Big 12 champion would get in. That's It's going to come down to... Notre Dame, Ohio State, maybe Ohio State, and that's a big maybe, and Baylor. But another thing I found interesting with the rankings is Ole Miss and Baylor flip-flopped. Um, so that's just something I that's something yeah. to keep an eye on because that's basically the committee saying, hey, Baylor, you didn't look good last week, so we put Ole Miss up there. But Ole Miss doesn't have a chance to be a conference champion. And Baylor has a very good chance to be a conference champion because they're playing in their conference championship game. So the the conversation for that fourth spot would become Notre Dame, Ohio State, Baylor. And I honestly think that Brian Kelly leaving plays a big role into Notre Dame's playoff chances. It shouldn't. It didn't win. And I thought the same way when – Cardell Jones, uh, JT Barrett got hurt against Michigan and Cardell Jones came in. Obviously, Ohio State went on to win the championship. But I thought that would have hindered their playoff chances as well because poor Baylor and TCU got screwed that year. But, um, <laughs> oh, we, we've covered that many times over. In but August, you bring, you yeah, bring up a really good point right there. I want to stop you right there just because I want to really emphasize what you just said. I feel like they don't, in any other scenario, like play the hypothetical game of who would beat who. So in a way, it's a little bit weird that they would do that for Notre Dame. I, I get it. Notre Dame's missing their head coach. But so, I, I I mean, they would still have the same offensive play caller in Tommy Reese, uh, assuming that he doesn't bolt for LSU in the next week. Uh, although mm-hmm. I, I've, I've read tweets that said that Brian Kelly had offered jobs to Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese at LSU which that would really terrify me if we lost the three-headed monster. But we would have the same defensive play caller yeah. and the same offensive play caller. So I would think that we'd be decently fine, or we would at least not be so out of character to where it's it would really affect whether or not we win or lose games. 
So I, I, I would think it would be a little bit weird if Notre Dame had that held against them so much so to the point where they would miss the playoffs because I feel like in no other scenario would we say, well, we think, you know, we think, let's see, Michigan versus whoever. Uh, I mean, we just go down the rankings. How, how, would we think Michigan would have a better chance, uh, a more competitive game against Alabama or Cincinnati? Like, I mean, we could just do that. That's how we could build the playoff right there is just select the four teams that we think are the toughest despite resume. So, but if we did that, then right. I, we would completely change the criteria of the rankings. So, yeah, we wouldn't, as you just mentioned, with uh, with taking that into consideration, we we wouldn't do that in any other scenario because otherwise we would have to do really revisionist history and go up, update some of the old rankings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, let me ask you this because I, I, I texted you immediately after Ohio State got blown out against Michigan. The score was not – I mean, the score <laughs> was not even close. I, it was just an ass-whooping from start to finish. Um, does Ohio State have a shot <laughs> at the playoff? And a little bit of me, when I woke up this morning, especially because Brian Kelly uh, is already at LSU at that point, a little part of me, I was, I was watching where they were going to put Notre Dame and Ohio State. Because there's a part of me, like, if they put Ohio State 6 and move Notre Dame down to 7, that wouldn't surprise me, just because of Notre Dame's situation. And because Ohio State feels like a team where Ohio State's a team that could win the, the win the national championship this year. Their offense is that talented. I think that it was just – they just got their ass whooped, plain and simple, against Michigan. It happens. Ohio State gets their ass whooped routinely. Um, so – I'm not saying like it's on the resume, so <laughs> it, it, it happened, and I think results need to matter. So, personally, I think Ohio State doesn't really have a chance, in my opinion. I don't a two-loss non-conference champion who did not appear in their conference championship should not be rewarded a chance at the college football playoff when a two when a same two-loss team in Baylor has the potential to win their conference championship. So the conference championship in that scenario would matter more than, than, than Ohio State. Me, personally, believe Ohio State's a much better team than Baylor. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just feel bad for Notre Dame. They, they don't have a chance. They really just don't have a chance at this point. They had a chance with Brian Kelly. I don't think they have a chance right now. Um, Oklahoma State. Well, Gary Barta did say today – I will say this about Notre Dame. Gary Barta did say today that – the Brian Kelly news was not really taken into account this week, but he said that's definitely mm. on the table to be reviewed next week. So yeah. you can definitely see so. Notre Dame drop behind Ohio State in the rankings. Now, I don't think either would make the playoffs, but I, right. I you mentioned Ohio State versus Notre Dame. I think there's a very real possibility that Ohio State jumps Notre Dame um, solely off of the madness that's taking place. Now, I think it would take – I, I think we'd have to find a head coach between now and then. And if it's Marcus Freeman, great. I think that could convince the committee to leave us in consideration. Uh, if, it, if Reese Davis pitched this idea today on the uh, the rankings release, uh, he said that there's a possibility that Luke Fickle is coaching Notre Dame in the playoffs, which is about the most ridiculous thing I've <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> no. that, that Luke Fickle no. would leave for Notre Dame. And 
because I mean, there's a possibility we could play connect the dots and all this stuff, but there is a semi-realistic possibility that Notre Dame plays Cincinnati in the two versus three game. And to even think that it's possible for Luke Fickle to be coaching on Notre Dame's sideline during that game is absolutely mind bending to me, but it's, it's not possible. There's not a chance. There's not a chance that happens. Well, well, you know what? I would have thought that too, but, but Brian Kelly is currently wearing LSU gear, reading a French dictionary. So I, I, I would have thought that this would have happened after the season. And oh, he do, all he had to do was wait one week because that, because we're in playoff contention, but we're also very likely to finish the season fifth or sixth. And, and I, I, this is another one of my ideas, is that I think the stars are aligning for Bama to finish fifth and the committee just say, oh, they were so close, but uh, they just, just slightly didn't make it. I think there are going to be some – preferential treatment with their ranking despite the fact that it will be outside the top four unless it's like razor thin margin like a point or two lost but i was sitting here when this news broke like we have possibly one week left possibly a playoff berth on the line why now like why couldn't you just tell lsu i will give you an answer in one week because we will find out on sunday on, during the selection show, whether or not we make the playoffs, that to me just made no sense. Why he, why at this point in time when the season is at most in limbo, this is when he leaves. I don't get it. So I, I'm saying I, I have right. I I don't I, like this is the time to be imaginative right now. This is whatever ideas you have. Um, there, th- I feel like it's inappropriate to say that they don't make any sense. Because not a whole lot's making sense in college football right now. I, I'm fully – Bob Stoops is coaching college football right now. Like, this is this is the time for all of your crazy ideas to come out. And Reese Davis definitely threw one out there with Luke Fickle possibly coaching Notre Dame against Cincinnati in the playoffs. <laughs> no. No. Chase, you can go ahead and speak if you would like. I see you moving. You accepted. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry, the guy. I've kind of come in and out, but um, I'm a resident Notre Dame fan. It's been kind of a wacky um, day, 24 oh. hours here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would assume so. Um, uh, Cole's a Notre Dame fan. I'm an Ohio State fan. Okay. Um, no, I just – I was kind of pissed off um, seeing that, like, they came out today and um, said that they're going to factor in, like, coaching changes and injuries into any – like final like playoff rankings. I feel like that's kind of bullshit. I, I don't know how what you guys feel about that. Uh, yeah, I, it's they. I thought that I thought the same thing when Cardell Jones was forced into the quarterback spot at Ohio State for 2014. Uh, and Ohio State was, I can't. What were they fifth going into the conference championship game against Wisconsin? Um, I don't think it really matters that much. But this is just Notre Dame doesn't have a chance to prove what they are without Brian Kelly because they would not play until the semifinals again because they don't play in a conference championship game and their their regular season's over. So that's kind of my take on it. Where Notre Dame, this specific scenario is different just because Notre Dame doesn't have a chance to prove itself while Ohio State did and they just whooped the hell out of Wisconsin that year. 
So that's personally why I think this year is different. I don't personally think it should matter because Notre Dame's team is cemented as what they are. Uh, really good defense. They've been playing really strong lately. The offense has been really whooping out, whooping up on some bad teams, uh, which is fine. But um, yeah, this yeah. is this. That's the only reason I think this specific year is different than any other potential like injury or coaching change or whatever turmoil within a program that would um, determine college football playoff rankings. No, oh, 100%. I think it'll be pre- – I, I actually don't think it'll be a very tough decision by the college football committee. Like, right. I think depending on how the like, championships play out. But I, 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 the only real I, – I, I just can't see them putting in a two-loss Bama team. But that will be the biggest, I think, obstacle in, in the case that um, that Bama um, losing to Georgia. Right. Right. Uh- and again, it's this this these playoffs are so wide open right now. Um, I think there's only one team that's really cemented. Georgia, Georgia can lose and get in, and everybody's been saying that. I think everybody mostly agrees because from start to finish, they have just dominated teams. The defense has been overwhelming uh, in every most every game. Uh, the offense is efficient enough to win the national championship. I'll say the offense does not scare me as much as Alabama's or Ohio State's or Ole Miss just looking at the rankings right now. So th- these playoffs are so wide open because there's, there's obviously the scenario where Michigan, Alabama, and Cincinnati and Oklahoma State all lose. That's the two, three, four, and fifth ranked teams. And if that happens, all hell is going to break loose. It, that's I'm kind of rooting for that now that I know that Ohio State really doesn't have a legit shot or they don't control their own destiny uh, to get into the playoff. I'm kind of rooting for that. Uh, also because that would give Ohio State its best chance. But obviously Ohio State would not give in over Michigan if the scenario were to come down to that. Yeah, that that would be pretty wild. But um, I, I, just the way Michigan's playing, I mean, I who knows in the Big Ten sometimes and and I could see Harbaugh choking yeah. in the in the championship game, but um, I don't know if they roll like that, that kind of solidifies like at least two teams, so that that makes it pretty easy. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. Um, two, yeah, two teams can officially solidify themselves, or three teams, I should say, because Cincinnati could. But then again, the committee has shown the committee dropped going back to 2014. The committee dropped TCU, who won their last game of the season. This was before the Big Twelve had their conference championship. They won their last game, I don't remember against who, uh, by like Iowa State, that's right, by 50 points or something, 50 plus points. They went from yeah. number three to number six. Iowa State. For, and they didn't play a game uh, from that 50 point ass whooping of Iowa State to the final rankings. Now, Ohio State beat up Wisconsin in the conference championship 59 to nothing. But, and then Baylor, I don't know why Baylor moved ahead of them and why TCU fell behind Baylor. But the committee's proven, like, hey, we're, we, we don't have a set criteria. We're going to put in the four most deserving teams that, in our eyes, I think it's a combination of it's 50, it's about maybe 60, 40 best teams, most deserving, which I don't personally agree with. I think it should be the most deserving over the best teams. Um, so yeah, I, this is. This is such a, I'm kind, a little part of me is relieved that I can just enjoy the, these playoff, uh, the, what's going to happen in conference championship weekend, just because I'm a big college football fan. And surprisingly, like 
for as big of an Ohio State fan as I am, the Michigan loss, it maybe took me all of five minutes to get over it. I don't know why it just did because I just, I just, <laughs> I just knew we had a great day of college football. I think that's the reason why. But and <laughs> the point where going into halftime, I felt terrible, even though it was a slim lead, because it was like, oh, Michigan, I, yeah. Ohio State doesn't have a prayer against this run. I mean, they, yeah, they, they, it will, it looked like sort of like the Oregon game. I mean, just like exactly. Michigan got whatever they wanted on the ground. Yes. Yeah. So and, and whatever, Cade McNamara did not have to exist. In the second half, like he could, they yeah. could have, they could have pulled a random student out of the student section just to hand it off to Blake Corm and it's not Haskins. It, they just yeah. did whatever they wanted, and part of that is because Ohio State had depth <laughs> and because they had five defensive backs the whole entire game, and they did nothing to change that. They were playing nickel. They had two linebackers, and Michigan's like, all right, seven more yards, seven yards a pop. Let's keep going. If you're not going to change, we're going to seven yards until yeah. you physically give out. And at some point, Ohio State got gassed. And the defense for Michigan did just enough because I think Ohio State did a pretty decent job moving the ball. They kind of had some big drops in the game from Jackson Smith and Jigba had one early. Chris Olave had one later in the game. So they had some. Mm-hmm. And even then, like Ohio State's first touchdown in the first half was an insane catch by Garrett Wilson. And then. I believe their <laughs> other touchdowns. Yeah, I yeah. Their other touchdown drive. Chris Olave had like an insane, like third and yeah. eleven. It may are actually it was Jackson Smith and Jigba, but um, yeah, the one behind the guy's back. Yeah, was that was insane. incredible. But that's that's why I think Michigan really deserved that number two ranking over Alabama because Alabama has like Alabama struggled against Florida, which is looking like a bad game now. They they obviously lost to Texas A and M. They struggled yeah. with Arkansas, and now they struggled with. Oh, uh, excuse me, uh, Auburn should have lost. Should have lost to Auburn with a backup yeah, quarterback. That's what, it was not a good showing. A quarterback who was hurt and a and a quarterback Hobble. who just did not look good. So if Bo Nix was playing in that game, Bo Nix is just wacky and wild and unpredictable enough to where Alabama probably would have got smoked in that game if Bo, if uh, Bo Nix was playing because. Well, it, it took to the fourth quarter for Alabama <laughs> to get their first point. Like, how? When was the last time that happened under Nick Saban? It, and listen, there was some crazy circumstances. Like, you don't see Saban teams act that like unor- not unorganized, but like just undisciplined. Like dropping dropping right. snaps on the kick, um, like fumbling inside the yeah, the red zone. It just wasn't like an Alabama coach football game. But they. I trust Saban to get up against a big opponent. Georgia, like, they're going to make Georgia prove it. It yeah. has that, like, oh, you want to beat us? Like, you're the little brother game. So there's going to be a scenario there where I, I could see right. Georgia getting behind early and just kind of yeah, all the, like, ghosts coming back to, to haunt them. But I just from a talent standpoint, I just can't see Alabama really moving the football on them. Um, that, that Georgia defense is – much much better than Auburn's, even though Auburn's is a sneaky good unit. Like I, I think there's like they had some there, guys yeah. hurt, but it's not it's uh, not a bad unit. Um, yeah. I, I kind of want to talk about the Oklahoma State ranking. I thought the college football committee kind of made a mistake, okay. not even just as a Notre Dame fan, but having Oklahoma State in front of Notre Dame just limited a little bit of the drama going into the conference championship game. I think. Right. Yeah, I honestly thought I. I I thought Notre because Notre Dame whooped up on Stanford, not like that that that's much of a big deal. Um, but I thought that was a scenario too, where because the college football play, the 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 committee's all about the ratings. They know they are. That's that's the reason. Yeah. 
That's yeah. something that takes like three hours <laughs> to reveal the top six on selection day. It, it's they're all about the ratings. So I was a little surprised. And juicing ratings for juicing ratings for the games. Like I understand, like there's there's circumstances where they can't really like be too grotesque about the final four and like right they'll be they'll have some pitchforks at the door if they do but like you can get a little nuts here and and try to juice the conference championship game ratings like why not you know like as all is like all is all that ends well like do it that way maybe that was what they did with tcu and like making sure making sure that they like that was sort of to prove a point to the big 12 i think to to get a conference championship game but like like make you can kind of do some yeah. chicanery here to try to juice the numbers for the championship games, but didn't look like they did that too much. Yeah. I, I honestly wouldn't mind if they did that as mm-hmm. long as at the end of the season, everything was right. Everything was right. Everything was made fair. Nothing was made to juice up the semifinal games. Um, I think they have done that in the past, putting Ohio mm-hmm. state in over Penn state, uh, the year Penn state beat them. Uh, so that, uh, and again, in 2017, I know I'm, I'm going to sound biased here, even though Alabama won the championship that year, Ohio state was the better, was the more qualified team to get in. They were a conference champion. Alabama didn't play in the conference championship game. Um, and Ohio state had a better strength of schedule and a better strength of opponents win percentage. So that's where I think the committee is. so And they they kind of did this because it's four teams and they kind of it you're so limited with what you can do with four teams until they change it we've talked to nauseam over the years on this on our show about you know what as every show that discusses college football the and the college football playoffs like expand expanding the playoffs we talked all about it I think we've all settled on eight teams and it shouldn't go above that because then it becomes oh well the ninth ranked team deserve to get in so we need to expand this more so as long as everything uh is right in the end i wouldn't i would not have cared if oklahoma, if oklahoma state was six and notre dame was five no uh, yeah 100 percent um i you know it's it's just gonna be an interesting one i i just ultimately i i I like to like argue about it, but I, I think it's I think it's all going right. to settle itself out. Like it it has most years. I think most years there's there'll be some like yeah. complaints from from either lesser like like group of five schools, or there'll be like yeah like the complaining from the SEC if they don't get like three teams in, you know, like <laughs> or two teams in. But um, yeah, it's yeah. I don't I don't think Notre Dame gets in. I think Kelly knows that. Like. Like everyone complained, like, oh, your team has a chance for the playoff. It's like, like you think these guys don't know? Like, like he knows. Like they're not, they're not making the college football playoff, which is fine. Like I don't think they're a great team. But the the funny thing is, like, I just don't trust most teams outside of Georgia. Like I really haven't. Like uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I gained a whole new respect for Michigan after this week. I, I had to. Yeah. So, um, no, me me too. Like, yeah, I, I definitely, like, you got to think that Michigan State game, like, I, I, it was kind of wacky, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's like, it's interesting to kind of go back. College football's it's like that sometimes where, like, rivalries and home games, they, they just get magnified. And, and so you, it's hard to, like, see the forest from the trees and who's actually good. Right. 
Colt, what, what would you think if they put Notre Dame, your Notre Dame Fighting Irish at five for ratings purposes? Well, my thought when I heard that was we're going to – this this benefits us more than anybody, <laughs> all this ratings talk, because if they wanted to, they could always just put Notre Dame as a like, – like kind of what they're doing with Alabama as just a number two slash number three most of the weeks this year. They can just have Notre Dame be the number four every single week as long as our, our record is somewhat respectable and then just come, they just give us our final ranking at the end of the year. And drop us down to like nine yeah. for whatever reason. But – Whatever. I was like, man, that would give me a lot of hope every single year to possibly get let down on the final week. Oh, I love it. getting let down on the final week is such it is the most <laughs> deflating thing in the world. We talked so much about the 2013 Ohio State Michigan State Big Ten Championship game. The most deflating thing that has probably ever happened in my life. But um, one more thing before. Well, what about what about a 2015 when Notre Dame was going to make the playoffs as a one loss team, and then. Christian, they, like Stan, I think Stanford hit like a 50-yard field goal as time expired to beat us. We were going to make the yeah. playoffs that year. Yeah, Ohio State should have made the playoffs that year too. But um, <laughs> refused to give the ball to Elliott against Michigan State. But um, I was going to make a I was going to make a point before we got into the gambling lines for conference championship week. I don't remember what it was. Uh, something to do with 2013 Michigan State. Oh, uh, um, Notre Dame in the ratings for the final week of the year. Yeah, that, that unfortunately Notre Dame doesn't play because you cowards will not join a conference. But um, yeah, it's I, it's I, gonna be a. I thought there were. I thought that there was an outside chance, not not anymore. But like, why don't they just play BYU? Yeah. Like, I was like, schedule BYU. That's oh. a top fifteen matchup. Or what BYU get up to now? Yeah. Um, um, like twelve, twelve. Like twelve or thirteen, yeah. Yeah, 12. top fifteen matchup. Like, like if you're Notre Dame, like, I guess it's hard to like schedule all this stuff. It's it's really hard. But like two independents that have nothing to do, like can guarantee you get yeah. in the playoffs with a win. Like, I feel like it. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw it last year. I mean, they scheduled Coastal Carolina uh, in the middle of the year on like a week's notice. So it's yeah. obviously possible. Obviously, that last year was just a wild time, and nothing was predictable. And everything was on the table for any team at any given time, including the playoffs. So it was, but yeah, I, I would yeah. love to see more teams start doing that. Yeah, that's a fun. I mean, it's a tough but fun part of being um, an independent. I right. also saw like people in the Brian Kelly news were talking about Notre Dame's schedule next year, and who knows how good these teams will be. But they've got Ohio State on the on the, the docket. They've got Clemson on the docket. It's just like a murderer's row. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit ago. Uh, they actually do play BYU in Las Vegas at the Raiders yeah. Stadium. And they also play um, yeah. North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Who knows what North Carolina will look like next year. Got uh, Lincoln Riley and USC in Los Angeles. Boston College, a team I respect a lot. Um, <laughs> and then they got a couple. They got some cupcakes against UNLV, Stanford, Marshall, Cal. Uh, well, Marshall's a pretty decent team. But uh, Cal, yeah. that's, you know. Syracuse, who at the Orange mm-hmm. at the Carrier Dome, and wild things happen at the Carrier Dome. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. But um, that could be tough. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah. So um, but but Cle- yeah, if Clemson gets back to somewhat reasonable, and then Ohio State just is Ohio State. That's those are two wins that'll carry you into the playoff. If as long as the rest is oh, easily, the rest is somewhat yeah, unblown. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So. How about we get, how about since we are both gambling guys, let's get into these uh, 
college football lines for a championship weekend. How, how about we? Um, I would like to note, though, you uh, we talked a lot last year about how I just went. You remember that insane run in January when on college and college basketball? Uh, I sure oh, do. Yeah, we talked about it a lot. It up a lot. But um, I am on the hottest streak of my life in college football right now. Dating back to week 11, which was uh, the week Ohio State played Purdue, uh, Michigan, Penn State, Oklahoma, Baylor that week. I am 26 and 6, 81% in my college football picks. Hey, well, that sounds pretty good. That's a, well, here, let me see if I can do the, if you're doing all just straight bets, uh, straight weight, 20, minus 6.6, that's 19.4 units, plus 19.4 units. Yeah. Yeah, that'll, uh, yeah. that'll work. And, uh, one of those was a parlay that I didn't even know I hit. So on Friday, the day, oh, those are the best. It's the bad, uh, the day after Thanksgiving when we had that big day of college football when Cincinnati played East Carolina. Um, I I went undefeated that day. It was awesome. But um, I I put on I had like half a unit left in my account. So I'm like, okay, I'll 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 put it on a parlay, a pre leg parlay. I ended up putting it on the under in Utah, which hit. Uh, Wazoo minus one over Washington, which hit. And then I thought I put it TCU plus 15 over Iowa State. That's what I thought I did. And TCU got rolled in that game. So I'm watching the late game, UNC and, NC, and North Carolina. Yeah, the where North Carolina scored two touchdowns in like the last minute. Turns out I had the over in that game instead of TCU. And I had no idea until the next day when I went to go cash out um, I had like two hundred more dollars than I thought I would. I'm like, wait a minute. But that was one of the, it, was, it was. Those are always the best when you hit a parlay and you don't remember you hit what the parlay was. Oh, no doubt. What were the? Uh, what were the it was plus five ninety seven, I believe. Something along those lines. It was plus five ninety. Oh, that's that's really impressive. Yeah, it, yeah I was oh, very happy the, with that. I, so I'm on a roll right now. I can't even now. imagine that feeling waking up. Yeah, it was I'm I'm on I'm on a roll right now. Um so I hope to keep this going. We'll go through we won't go through Holy Cross for Villanova, um, because nobody wants to. But um we'll go through the big games. Friday, the big game, always <laughs> the Pac twelve championship. Uh we got Oregon and Utah rematch. Uh Utah minus two and a half. They were minus three in their first game where Utah whooped the hell out of them. I took Utah, no big deal. It, there's just something about – I've always been a big Utah fan. We were talking about Kyle Whittingham earlier. I've always been a big fan of his, ever since I can remember watching Utah. And he has been consistently excellent at Utah. He uh, has a 13-0 and season. They won in the Sugar Bowl. Um, they finished the year number two in the AP. They would have went to the playoff if the playoffs were around back then. Next and then the next two years he won ten games in both those years. He won ten games in twenty fifteen. Um in twenty nineteen, remember they were just had to beat Oregon and they would have made the playoffs. They won eleven games. Uh he's won nine games, one, two, uh three times wait, one, two, three, four times, uh, and he has five nine wins now this year. So he has been consistently excellent. I just I don't think Oregon, Oregon just looks bad this year. Like Outside of the Ohio State win, they look bad. So I, I think I'm going to go with Utah on this one. 
it's weird that that Oregon just ran straight over Ohio State and put up 42 points that game, really primarily running the football. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they haven't had similar success. Now I have well, CJ Verdell's out, but yeah, but they have uh, Troy. Uh, not Troy Dye. Dye. What, yeah. What's the little brother's name? Troy Dye was the older one. Is it a? Uh, I can't remember. Trevor Dye. I just know he doesn't wear he doesn't wear gloves, and it makes me mad. Yeah, and he's like he's like five foot five, hiding behind a bunch of enormous offensive linemen. I, it's hard right. for me to believe that Oregon, as good as their offensive line is. Uh, hasn't been super, or at least as good as they looked against Ohio State. I haven't watched them a whole lot, honestly, after that, except for that Utah game. It's hard for me to believe that Oregon isn't capable of just doing that against a lot of other opponents. So now, as as we've learned, Ohio State's run defense isn't mm-hmm. the best thing ever, but I don't really know what the problem has been for Oregon's offense because they have not been able to put up points nearly to the magnitude they did in the shoe. So I'm a little bit suspicious of that. Uh, I, I really don't think their quarterback can throw, but to be fair, I'm not sure if Utah's quarterback can throw either because they also just Cameron Rising's a pretty good guy, but they pound the rock and that's how they move. And yeah. this, uh, this, this could be an under, I think uh, the under, could be the best play in this game. Fifty nine. Oh, um, you know what? That's my pick right then and there. Um, these are two teams that are more successful running the football than throwing. <laughs> Excuse me. So, right because of that, my pick for this game is under fifty nine, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I'll, it's going to be a day of like five minutes before kickoff before I place my bet on this one. I'm leaning Utah minus two and a half. I just think Utah. Utah is so much better than Oregon, in my opinion. So I'm going to go with Utah. But the under is a very good play. Um, then we move into Saturday. Excuse me. Uh, we got Baylor, Oklahoma State. Massive game, obviously. Uh, Oklahoma State, minus, 40, minus four and a half. Total, 46 and a half. I don't like that under. I know it, why it is that way, because Oklahoma State's defense is awesome. And because I don't, I know they just want to shoot out against Oklahoma, but I don't trust their offense as much. I, um, this game, I don't like the line on either of these at all. Um, I guess the best value would be Baylor's money line at plus one eighty. But oh, I'm I'm in on that. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's going to be that. Yeah, because I do not like four and a half points either side. Um, I don't like the total at all. So, yeah, I, my, if I had to make a pick right now, it would be Baylor money line just because it's plus 180. I, I'll take the four and a half on Baylor. I think, that, I think that the top of the Big 12 is all pretty even between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. So I th- And I also right. think we talked about this earlier with uh, what possible situations could happen for the playoffs. We talked about this on previous podcasts. Baylor has an opportunity to alleviate one of their previous losses. So this would be a big revenge game for them. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is, is that when you get revenge for a loss, it looks a lot better if that was your only loss of the year, because then you can kind of maneuver your way into a 
into an almost undefeated argument, but or a you know really really close to being undefeated argument. I it's a lot harder to do that. You can't find that angle as well when you have two losses. But regardless, um, this there's a, a large potential for chaos with this particular college football playoff. So I think that this could be uh, the time to strike for Baylor. And I'm, I think, like I said, I think the top of the Big 12 is really compact. It's all really airtight. So I'm going to go with Baylor plus four and a half. I would have taken the underdog no matter who it was, honestly, in this one. Right. Yeah. Uh, four and a half is just a wild number to me. Not, not that I think that one team is – because four and a half doesn't seem like a lot of points, but in a game like this, it's a ton. Um, let's move on to I'm going with Baylor Moneyline uh, if I had to pick right now uh, we got Georgia Alabama 3.30 kick or 4, kick, four o'clock kick um, Georgia and Alabama and Houston Cincy kick off at the same time that's obnoxious um, let me guess which one you're watching <laughs> yeah um, I will actually be watching Southern Illinois and North Dakota State but um, <laughs> uh, Georgia, we'll start with Georgia, Alabama. Georgia minus six and a half. I don't love that. And then the point total forty nine and a half. Again, don't love that. Um, if I had to pick right now, it would be Georgia minus six and a half. Although now that I'm thinking about it, Alabama has played to the strength, played down to every opponent that every good opponent that they played. And if they played to Georgia. And the under might be the play because they play to Auburn's level and Auburn at that, at that version of Auburn, their defense was going to carry them. And they did. And they played down to that. Now they lost Jamison Williams early in the, early in the game to uh, targeting. And he is their most important player. So uh, on offense, I should say, Will Anderson would be their most important player. So I'm going to go under 49 and a half is my official pick. I think Georgia does win by seven. But I'm not going to bet that. I do like that under a lot. In fact, I may make that my official pick as well. Uh, or you know, I, I'll I'll do two since I'm pretty confident in both of these. I'll go, and this is something that typically you don't do because you typically go with the favorite and the over or the dog and the under. But I'm going to do a little bit of mixing and matching here. I'm going to go with Georgia right. to cover and the under. I think that. <laughs> Georgia is more likely to be in control during the entire game. And I see this as being the possibility for Georgia to, to just wear out Alabama over time. Uh, it's kind of similar to what Michigan did to Ohio state right. where the second half was really where uh, Michigan took full control of that game after already forcing Ohio state to play from behind in the first half. I think it's going to be something similar to that, but just less scoring. So I think that this might be mm-hmm. uh, a Baltimore Ravens cover against the Browns where there's just oh, a, a late field goal or a late touchdown that kind of makes the scoreboard a little bit, uh, a little bit looser than it otherwise would have been uh, probably going to be, I, I think a tight game in general, but I think Georgia's going to find a way to break away at some point. Uh, but also I don't think there are going to be too many points scored. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Georgia and the under. Yeah. That, those are the two state plays. Um, Georgia is just overwhelmingly dominant on defense. There, I don't think any offense. The only offense, two offenses that I think can keep up with them are Alabama and Ohio State. 
and it's pretty likely that neither of them will make the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, so let's go to Houston, Cincinnati. Cincinnati minus 10.5, point total 53.5. I'm taking Houston. I really like Houston a lot. Um, this seems like a game. I don't think since I'm going to go with the over 53. Oh, go ahead. That's fair. Um, I like that one too. I really like Houston in this spot. I don't like them to win. I like them in this spot. I think they have been playing really good football lately and they are very, they are a pretty well balanced team. So plus 10 and a half against the Cincinnati team that has shown some signs of struggle against bad teams. Uh, they 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 beat up their last two opponents, but and especially SMU, that was a massive win. Although SMU is not a very great team, we we kind of talked about them a little bit over the course of the season because of that offense. So them beating up SMU was kind of the first point. Like, hey, Cincinnati, they can keep up with good offenses. So that that's an important thing. But I do really like Houston to cover, not win, and the the hook on the 10 and a half is the main reason. Yeah, I, uh, well, that's, that's kind of what went into my thinking with the Georgia pick is, and I, this is kind of just a natural thing around particular scores. If it's around three or around seven or around 10, just like those traditional football scores or, or, you know, 14, 21, whatever, just those touchdown and field goal combinations, whichever side it leans, that's kind of, where I like, I like to go opposite of that. So if that one's going uh, ten and a half, I uh, that little extra hook uh, and gives me a little bit more motivation to go with Houston. But in general, I'm just going to go with the over here. Uh, I think that despite the fact that Cincinnati's one of the best corners in the game, I think that Houston's going to find a way to stay competitive, play from behind a little bit because Cincinnati might jump to an early lead. Cincinnati's played some high scoring games. So, yeah, I think that they're going to be able to put us in points themselves, but I don't think they're going to be the only one scoring. So we're going to go with over th- over 53 in that one. Yeah, a very underrated part of Cincinnati is their defensive secondary, and especially Ahmed Gardner, Sauce Gardner, as they call him. He will be a first-round pick, and he could be the first corner off the board. He's pretty good. And then the other side, they have Kobe Bryant. Uh, yes, his name is Kobe Bryant, uh, who is very solid as well. So uh, I'm sticking with Houston, but I, really, I think Cincinnati is going to win. Uh, Michigan, Iowa, Big Ten Championship uh, on at eight, as it always is. Michigan, minus 10.5, over under 43.5. The obvious, obviously, everyone's going to start looking at the under because two really good off uh, defenses that and two teams that their offense by identity is running the football. Those obviously make up for a good recipe for the under. Um, but I think Michigan, minus 10.5. Iowa, if Michigan does half of what they did to, to start the game against Ohio State, against Iowa, Iowa doesn't have enough explosiveness, explosiveness on offense to keep up. So that's why I'm looking at Michigan minus 10 and a half. And just because I think Michigan is actually really that good. I've really started believing Michigan when I watched them play Ohio State because I watched Ohio State really take it into gear the previous uh, the previous few weeks leading up to that point. So when Michigan just took it to Ohio State offensively and defensively, man, Aiden Hutchinson, what a time to really break out. That's going to be a name that Ohio State fans remember for a long time 
and uh, not in a positive yeah. way. But I, I hate to say it, I'm maybe maybe it's the hook, but I'm gonna go with Iowa plus ten and a half. Mm. Um, I I think that it is gonna be a low. Actually, you know what? No, I, I'm, I'm gonna flip it. I'm gonna go with the under. I I I, I think. Yeah. I know that it's the basic pick here because you just laid it out. Perfect ingredients for the under when you have two defensive-minded teams who off- whose offensive identity is to run the football before they throw it. Um, I-, I just think that it's hard for me to believe either team is going to light up the scoreboard one way or the other. Obviously, Michigan is more likely to do so. Uh, you never know when they're going to pull out their secret weapon, J.J. McCarthy, uh, and you never know when they're going to let him throw the ball. Ohio State saw that a little bit. He's been someone who comes in really on run plays, uh, mostly hand the ball off, do a little bit of read option, do some keepers. But every now and again, they will they'll let it fly with him just because they know that you're thinking that they're going to run. He threw, a t- he threw a really great touchdown against Michigan State, uh, had a bomb against Ohio State. So they might have something up their sleeve, but I, I really don't think that they're going to get too creative too many times. I think that's something that just happens once or twice a game. So I, I, I think that Michigan's game plan is going to be mostly running the football. If, if Iowa's defense really shows up to play, mm-hmm. maybe they maybe, – maybe it's going to be a big Cade game. But regardless, I, I, I think at best Michigan comes out with a balanced attack. I don't think they're going to become the air raid offense that they were against, against Michigan State. So that's that is, and that's also a situation that I'm not super confident in. I I, I think both teams are going to be run heavy, uh, at least as much as Iowa can be, because I think they're going to have to start playing from behind, and they are going to have to play a little bit desperate in this game if they want to win. But still more confident in the under than anything else. Right. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then the last game, uh, Pitt Wake Forest ACC championship game. Pitt minus two and a half, over under seventy two and a half. Um, here, I was going to say Pitt minus two and a half because I think this game is more of a pick'em to me. But Wake Forest is plus two and a half, and it's even odds. So I'm going to go with Wake Forest. Seventy two and a half. Can you remind me of the over under? Uh <laughs> I am going to bite that bullet, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. We're doing it. We are. We're going over. I. Th- this is a Wake Forest team who lives for Big Twelve football. It is touchdowns and t- more touchdowns, and that's on both sides of the ball. Um, they love to throw the ball. Sam Hartman's really good, and he's got a, a nice little set of receivers there to help him out. And they also despise playing defense and Kenny Pickett is looking like a potential first round quarterback and he's really burst onto the scene this year. So I'm impressed with them. I, that is a sky high number, but this is going to be one that you're going to be getting a lot of, if you're watching whatever, if you're watching other games at this time, you're going to be getting a lot of game break updates about, well, so, uh, Pitt just scored again. Wake Forest just scored. There are going to be a lot of updates about that game on your TV. So that's going to be fun to watch. I'm going over 72. I I'm typically would never do such a thing, but I'm, I'm doing it today. 
I respect it. I respect it a lot because just seeing a number that high, it's just so fun to take the over in games like that. So I respect it. <laughs> but I'm going to take Wake Forest just because of the plus 100 odds. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that's all we got today. Uh, discussed everything that happened, went through the playoff rankings, and then discussed the odds for conference championship games, uh, which we will discuss the results of those games on next week's. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a big episode next week because we'll we'll know the college football playoff uh, entire format that'll be set up. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, somebody is going to have a big coaching hire. We didn't even talk about Billy Napier to Florida because that was mm. about the fifth most significant coaching hire uh, of the week. So as far as we know, Notre Dame doesn't have a head coach, but that could change. Oklahoma has a vacancy. So there's there's still a lot of moving pieces. And if anything happens, we will update you next week. And until then, you guys take care. Yep. Peace.